Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So the Glazers finally fire a head coach after nearly three seasons. No, it wasn't Dirk Cutter. Jose Mourinho. $19 million they owed him in U.S. money. He got sacked by Manchester United, and the Glazers, of course, of course own that soccer club. We'll talk about that, uh, have a question on it. And what would you do to turn the Bucks into a winning franchise? And who will play first base for the Tampa Bay Rays next season? We got all that and more in this mailbag edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, are you ready for a magical day on the river with the manatees? That's right. If so, seven days a week, you can experience the wonder and magical charm of Captain Mike's swimming with the manatees in Crystal River. It's the ultimate family bonding experience. Now, I've done this, folks, and I'm telling you, it should be on your bucket list. It's great to do with the families. You need to go up there, and seven days a week, you can experience uh, swimming with these gentle giant creatures. It's amazing. Just ask about their $30 manatee bronze tour and be sure that you ask about their other free offer for active law enforcement officers and U.S. military requires the purchase of two silver tickets at a regular price, and then you're eligible for the free tour. Captain Mike's is the number one customized manatee tour company in Kings Bay and Crystal River. It's beautiful up there. The water's always about 72 degrees. It's pure paradise, and you can ask about their pontoon boat rentals, kayak rentals, bicycle rentals, and much more. Book online at swimmingwithamanatees.com or call 352-571-1888. So it was interesting, Steve, when I woke up and, uh, of course, we're, what, six hours or so behind uh, the people across the pond in, in England and saw where the Glazers have, in fact, fired a coach, but it, it wasn't Dirk Cutter. No, Jose Mourinho out. Uh, I believe this is part of his third season at uh, mm-hmm. about the halfway point of the season over in the Premier League this year. And yeah. I think they're like in uh, sixth place in the on the table. They call it. They don't call it the standings over there. It's the table. <laughs> they also say they sack the coach. They don't fire the coach. They yes. sock. They sock the coach. So, um, and did you did you tell me that they actually? Because uh, Man U, of course, it's a uh, it's a publicly traded company, right? Is that part is that of it? True, is or? part of it is part of it? Okay, yeah. yeah. It's not the whole. The I don't believe the whole. Com- or the right. whole team is, but I believe part. Well, they have the controlling stock yes. in it. I know that, but uh, but they're the, the, stock yeah. The stock went rose. up like six percent on the New York Stock Exchange after the announcement. <laughs> Perfect. So, so you make you money make back. money to fire somebody. <laughs> That's right. It's like whatever we own. No, we're going to make more. It's okay. So the other news uh, came out. I guess it was late Monday when they announced the uh, NFL Pro Bowl team, and you know they now do it NFC, AFC. And a couple of the biggest snubs actually in the league belonged to the Buccaneers. The Bucs were one of three teams that had no players. No players made the Pro Bowl. And this is the first time for the Bucs since 2009 that they have not had a player uh, named to the Pro Bowl. When I say named to it, I mean, you know, actually voted to the Pro Bowl uh, by their peers, the fans, et cetera. Now, there'll be other guys, obviously, every year now. More and more guys don't go because the Super Bowl teams aren't involved. The game is actually before the Super Bowl. So this is not to say these guys won't go. 
Um, but, you know, you had Mike Evans, who certainly is uh, is worthy of it. He career in receiving yardage. He's going to break the, the Bucks, uh franchise record for most receiving yards in a season. It's been held for 29 years by Mark Carrier. And then uh, JPP, you know, Justin Pierre-Paul or Jason Pierre-Paul uh, did not make it with his 11 and a half sacks. We know what he's done since being traded from the Giants. Just a great player, both against the run and the pass. Um, he didn't make it either. But, you know, when you look at the players who, who went ahead of them, and, I mean, Evans is going to be the first alternate. So I would almost – you'd almost expect he will get a chance to go to the game um, because there's bound to be one of these, you know, players, maybe even um, Michael Thomas that's actually in the Super Bowl. So you expect that Mike Evans will have a shot. He's the first alternate. The third alternate uh, at defensive end is Jason Pierre-Paul, so maybe less less of a chance there. But Julio Jones, Michael Thomas, Adam Thielen – and Devontae Adams are your receivers in the NFC. And then Cameron Jordan, Demarcus Lawrence, great pass rusher for the Cowboys, and then Daniel Hunter with the Minnesota Vikings. Those are um, your defensive ends in the NFC. There's only three of them, so it's difficult. Um, and, again, sack numbers, touchdowns, all those things factor in. The biggest factor is that the Bucks weren't relevant. The Bucks, you know, are sitting here with five wins. They played one national TV game in week three against the Steelers, lost that. Um, so, you know, that, that's a big part of fan voting along with the market. Um, I talked to Jason Pierre-Paul not long ago uh, after this last game, and um, you know he was like, "Look, I've made two Pro Bowls. I I know what kind of player I am, and uh, as long as you know my you know my teammates and my team is happy with me, I know what I've done. I've had a heck of a year. Uh, it's okay." So um, for Mike Evans, you know he was been to one in 2000. What was it? I think 2016, perhaps. I expect him to go. And then Gerald McCoy, you know, he had been to six straight Pro Bowls. His streak snaps after six game, after six years of that. Uh, he does not make it. I don't think he's an alternate, so he will not be going back for a seventh straight season. So that's that's sort of uh, sort of sobering news if you're a Bucks fan. It, I think it tells you where they are as a team. I and mean, you go back and think about 2009; they were three and 13 that year. Um, so record matters. Um, you know, national perspective matters. All those things, and you know, so you're not gonna. You're not going to get many players to the Pro Bowl. In this case, they got nobody voted the first time. And we've got lots of questions about the Bucks. lots of questions, some questions about the Rays, um, and even I'm, I'm guessing some, uh, some maybe questions about the Lightning, who as we, as we do this podcast are playing in Vancouver, and they have a uh, quick 2-1 to lead here in the first period. That's correct. Well, we'll start with a question about the Glazer family. And UK Bucks tweeted us, with the Glazer family unexpectedly spending money to fire the Manchester United coach, although some wouldn't say it was completely unexpected, do you think hmm. there's anything left in the pot right now for major changes at the Bucks? <laughs> anything left in the pot, right? Yeah? Um, yeah, there's plenty left in the pot. I tell you, it's a big pot. Um, they, uh, and this is always, I've always been amused by this because I've been to London a couple times with the Bucks uh, playing over there. You'll be there next and- year. And I'll be there next year because they're going to probably, unless they go to Mexico City, but they're in the international series next year. Uh, and when you go, because, you know, they're owners of the biggest franchise in the world in Manchester United, invariably every time they're over there, there's a story in one of the or several of the London papers or England papers or whatever about how the Bucks are siphoned or how, the, how Man U is getting money siphoned off of it to support the Buccaneers. So, like, people believe that they operate these things, you know, in, in con, you know, congruently, like there's some sort of crossover with respect to their funds. 
I don't think that's the case. I mean, I know in the NFL, for example, now ultimately it's all the Glazers' money, right? But, you know, in the NFL, your player costs are sort of factored in based on the designated gross revenues of the league. You're actually a partner with the players. Um, that, from what I understand, is not the case, uh, you know, in, in their holdings with Man U. But, um, but it's, 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 it's an easy observation, you know, that, well, if they're spending money here or they owe coaches – you know, for the bucks that they're going to have to pay, then that's less money they would have to buy players or pay coaches. That I don't think that that's the way they operate in general. Um, I can understand why that's a perception, but you know, again, they're they're famous for paying coaches, I guess, in both places, but certainly certainly in Tampa Bay, um, I think they're still maybe still paying Lovey Smith. Now, a lot of times they have, you know, things in their contracts like what are called offsets, where if you make one dollar someplace else that's one dollar less than they have to pay you even though you may have years left on your contract the problem is glazers rarely enforce that you know they they they'll have offset offsets with their coaches but like in the case of lovey from what i understand you know he went to illinois and they could have subtracted that salary but instead they paid him the three years they owed him which was like 15 million dollars and didn't have to so um they're generous that way they're used to paying coaches but no i think i think the i think the main thing is is that it's not Look, it's it's they're not going to owe Dirk Cutter so much money or or pay so much money to the new coach relative to what they make with the Buccaneers that it's going to be something that's going to be felt at Man U. So I I personally don't think that's the case. But in, at the end of the day, it's you know it's their money pretty much. Well, the other day the NFL announced that the salary cap is going up about ten million dollars next season. That's correct. Which and means has, the players yeah. take fifty four percent of the revenues in yeah. football, which is what's collectively bargained. I believe it's 54. Mm-hmm. It's close to that number. So that means approximately $10 million are going into the coffers of the, of the team. If the yeah. cap's going up $10 million, that means the owners are pocketing another or getting another $10 million to do with. So they've yeah, got there's, the money. It means there's $20 million <laughs> in gross revenues, and they're yeah. splitting it 50-50. But, yeah, yeah it, and it's gone up $10 million a year, by the way, the, the uh, player costs since, every year since 2014. Mm-hmm. So th- that's how quickly the game's revenues. And people talk about, well – the NFL, it's a dying sport, you know, the national anthem, this and that. Mm, I don't know how you measure success. I kind of measure it based on how much money I make. <laughs> so um, I would think that a lot of owners do too. You know, it's like it's great to have the rings, but how's our league doing? Oh, we're making more money? Okay, good. Then we're okay. Mm-hmm. And I know it's not just the money, but um, but they're doing fine. And, yeah, for that reason, um, you know, I, I don't think it's going to affect either either franchise. All right, so we got several questions on coaches, GMs, and what's going to happen at the end of the year. But here's two of them that are somewhat similar. Ellis yeah. asked, let's assume that Coach Cutter is let go, but Light is retained. What type of coach do the Bucks hire to sell this team to the fans? While Easy Rod asked, if the Bucks let Dirk go, do you foresee a stipulation with the new coach being one of requesting all the power, or will it be a coach who will work with the GM? All right, you may have to ask me those again. I'm going to take. Well, I'm going to take the reverse. I'm going to take the last one first, since sure. it's fresh in my mind. Um, do I expect a coach would request to have all the power? That is certainly uh, going to be specific to who the coach is. Um, you know, the Glazers have done it both ways. They have, you know, sort of had this strong mayor uh, approach, if you will, where where the coach also has what we call control of the roster, or control of the 53. And that's something that not many coaches get, quite frankly. Guys like Belichick have it, probably Andy Reid. Um, but 
it's it's usually belongs to the uh, general manager uh, who acquires the players and then the coaches coach those players. But, um, you know, sometimes if it's a big enough name or somebody that has leverage uh, and other options, they can request and, and very often get um, the ability to uh, make final decisions on all on all personnel moves. Um, and, again, I – I've seen the Glazers do it both ways. My gut feeling is that that coach may not be somebody they hire. Um, there's just not a lot of guys in the league that do it. And if you look at the ones that might become available that are coaching right now, the Ron Rivera's and Mike McCarthy's and, and some of the bigger names like that that have been to Super Bowls, they didn't have it with their former teams. I wouldn't expect them to have it with the Buccaneers. So uh, if I had to guess and guess only – there will be a GM involved. Now, the, the the question about that is, you know, very often they marry up, like more and more G, these GM candidates are marrying up themselves with head coaching candidates. And well, wasn't so, Lovey Smith hired first and then he picked yes, Jason Light or yes, was a big part exactly, of that, that selection process? No, he, he picked them. I mean, for, for intensive purposes, you know, they, they threw a bunch of candidates because he didn't have a guy. Uh, and when they gave Lovey the job, they wanted Lovey to to find somebody he felt he could work with. So they had a series of interviews, and Lovey more or less picked Jason Light as the guy to work with him. Now, once they got into it, and you know, just the, the sort of the mechanics of the job, Lovey's coaching the team. The general manager is the one who's answering to the owners and and talking with them and sitting with them and explaining to them what's going on in the field. So, you know, some of that maybe begins to swing towards the general manager in terms of his influence. But, um, yeah, in fact, and Lovey had the 53-man roster. He controlled he controlled everything. You know, it wasn't a traditional strong GM. Now, when they fired him, they then were familiar enough with Jason and said, okay, Jason, we're, you know, Dirk Cutter's the coach, but now you have control. We're not going to give Dirk Cutter control. We'll give you control of the 53-man roster. So the power sort of transferred to the general manager in that case. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's weird in that, that Lovey, you know, Lovey hired Jason. Ultimately, Jason, you know, had to meet with the Glazers, and, and together they had to make a decision to let Lovey go. Um, so I don't know. You know, one thing people have suggested, well, why don't, you know, why don't the Bucks hire a president? Um, well, that's, you know, the, the job they're suggesting is really a GM job. It's not a president. They want somebody else to hire the GM and hire the coach. Um, but, you know, I, I, I tend to think that the Glazers are going to want to control that and not give that away. I mean, there's not many people they would give that away to. So I think we're, I think we're in for a GM and a coach at some point, whether that's Jason. What was the first part of that question that uh, I want to go back to? It was just what type of coach do you think the Bucks would hire if, if, if Dirk yeah. was gone and Jason was retained? Well, if Jason's retained, I mean, that would probably depend on Jason for the most part. But just in general terms, again, whether it's offense or defense, I, I don't think matters as much uh, than, than some people do. Although, if you're trying to save the quarterback, let's say, for example, Ron Rivera gets fired, and for whatever reason the Bucks think that he'd be a really good hire here. Ron Rivera's a defensive coach. But the guy he has working with him now, North Turner, has always been sort of a quarterback whisperer. I know that I know the Panthers are in a spiral for a lot of reasons, but well, Cam that might right. be. Did you yeah, see that Cam's throwing motion last night? Oh, oh, it's horrible. It was horrible, and 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 you know, so they, like, but in that in that scenario, um, 
you know, you, you could have, you know, you could have Ron Rivera, um, working with somebody, but I don't think he's going to get the 53 is, is my thing. I, I think, I still think you're going to end up with a GM and it doesn't matter. It, it just depends on who they hire first and how much leverage they have. But if I had to guess, no, I don't think the coach, I don't think the coach will have the, the control of the roster. All right. Well, Les ask if Cutter is gone next year, well, we know more about Jameis Winston by year's end, having had to play in a new system. Seems like he's more likely to struggle in a new offense for one year. Also, do you think Jameis would have any say in who the new coach would be? No, I don't think he'd have any say um, unless the Glazers decided to give it to him, and I, I don't know why they would. Um, they may talk to him about if they had a number of candidates and it was close or get his opinions about some guy that they were pretty much agreeing to hire anyway. But, no, you don't ask players because you can't assume that player is going to outlast the head coach you're about to hire. So this has to be done sort of – you know, independent of each other. Um, do I think Jameis, it, it would, there, that is a good theory that if you gave him a new system, it may set him back because he has something new to learn. I would tend to think they would, the Glazers would think the other way, which is, yeah, it may be a new system, but maybe one that's better suited for him, um, maybe one that will uh, create better results for our offense and take some of the pressure off of him. Maybe one that that you know emphasizes running the football more or more effectively. Um, so you can cut it up any way you want to. I mean, like, you know, was Jeff Fisher's system good for Jared Goff? Well, I don't know. He was in it for for almost a couple of years. Then he had to relearn something with Sean McVay. Well, he went thirteen and three. So how tough was it? I mean, these guys have played football since they're eight and ten years old. Football is football. You know, you do have to learn new combinations of routes or you might have to learn new new terminology and what you call plays but they've been playing the game so i i think sometimes we get caught up in oh wow it's going to take a real big step back but you know that wasn't the case with matt ryan who's had a bunch of coordinators um you know it, it just depends on on who the guy is and if he's any good but you can absolutely turn around a program with a new head coach or a new coordinator and we've we've got examples of that all over the place all right, Buck North asked, Shelton Quarles has been around the Bucks for a long time. Do you think he's a candidate for GM if the Bucks decide to clean house after the season? Well, it's, you know, it's the old saying that, that you know, there's going to be a national search and Shelton would be in the nation. So that's, that's sort of the way you think about it. But I, I, I think that, I think this, you know, a lot of people are pushing, you know, well, Derek Brooks and, and uh, what, you know, shouldn't he be the GM and, or president, or whatever you want to call it. The one thing about what's going on over there now is, like, no matter what you say about Derek Brooks, who may or may not be, you know, capable of doing a really good job, um, Shelton Quarles has practical NFL experience. You know, he's had a multiple, multitude of jobs in the personnel department. Now he's sort of their director uh, over there of uh, kind of like football operations. I mean, he's not running any scouting departments. He's really not involved in the personnel evaluation side of it like he used to be. Um, so, you know, he's had, he's had a lot of experience. I don't think that he's going to be a main character that they would go to and say, Hey, go pick us a head coach. You're going to succeed Jason light. I don't have any information that that's going to be what they do. Um, but he certainly is qualified. I mean, more, more qualified than many. Here's the thing too, that's not to be overlooked is that I believe as it stands right now, there is one, I think African-American general manager in the NFL, which 
is not good, um, and they could certainly use more. But you know, Shelton is uh, is at least been with the, the Bucks front office in, in a number of different jobs. I just I don't sense anybody sees him as a candidate for it, but I could be wrong. All right, David asks, do you see a scenario where Deshaun Jackson stays and Jameis is let go in the offseason? <laughs> wow. Um, well, I mean, I don't see one doesn't mean there isn't one. I suppose those are separate questions in a way. You know, whoever is hired here, I'm of the belief, is going to have Jameis for one, at least one season. Um, now, if, if it's a, again, if it's a coach that has enough clout that's a big enough name and says to the Glazers, look, I'll take the job. I'm not taking the quarterback. Then the Glazers would have to decide and would most likely, you know, Jameis would be the one moving on. But um, I, I don't know. You know, my guess is that whoever comes here will get Jameis for one season. Now, Jameis as what for one season? Will he absolutely be given the starting job? Will he have to compete with somebody else like a rookie uh, or a veteran free agent? I don't think you go out and sign – say, Nick Foles to a $50 million contract if you're keeping Jameis as well um, because you have to pay Jameis $20 million. So maybe it's a young guy that they, they maybe draft somewhere, um, but he'll have competition. I just don't – again, I think you'd have to have a strong coaching name to convince the Glazers that, hey, I'll take this gig, but we need to move on from that quarterback. I still, even with two games left and he could stink the place up, I still think Jameis will do enough – to make the Glazers want to give him that fifth year and try uh, to see how he reacts and responds to a new coach, a new system, and all those things. Okay, Mike asks, second and third round picks Ronald Jones and Alex Kappa have had trouble getting on the field and making an impact. Who is to blame the most? Is it the players for not performing, the coaches for not coaching them up, the scouts, or the front office for picking them? What a great – we have some really good listeners on this show. Mm -hmm. Can I just tell you – the people that listen to Sports Day Tampa Bay, congratulations. You guys are smart. That's a tough question. And, um, boy, uh, I think it's on a lot of people. That sounds like a cop-out. But, look, I, I think this, that the evaluation is probably the biggest thing. You know, you've got to get the right evaluation and, and put the right value on players, where you pick them, what your expectations are of them, whether it's realistic or not. Uh, that's one thing. But then drafting in developing, developing is the biggest thing. Um, I think they missed on Ronald Jones. I, I'll be honest. I've never seen a player at that position who was taken in the second round, had that much success in college, come to the NFL. And even though he's not played a lot, he's played enough. But I have literally not seen one positive play that you would go wow okay I see the flash I see it I I mean he's pretty much spent the whole season not getting yards it's unbelievable whether they throw the ball to him and it goes through his hands or he catches it in the flat and gets tackled I mean his production is as bad as any running back I've ever seen the Bucks have and I'm not exaggerating I mean any of them drafted undrafted you name it you know I mean hell the you know they used to take guys like Bobby Rainey and start him, and they would run for 100 yards. I mean, you don't even see a play. Show me a play that Ronald Jones has made. And when you talk to him, you realize he came here. He was, like, barely 21 years old, um, you know, used to Cali, used to all that. And when he got here, he thought he had – I really believe he felt like, okay, I'm in the NFL. I've arrived now. And what he found out was, because he told me this, he goes, you know, they want to see you 
really kind of produce even in the preseason and, you know, kind of do some things in games. And, you know, that's sort of how they gain confidence. Like, yeah, yeah, they do. It's not, you know, it's not enough just to be drafted in the second round and say, hey, boom, here's my college tape. Okay, you know, which which way do you want me to run this this pill? Uh, it just doesn't go like that. They want it. They want to feel confident that when they put you in there, you're going to a know what the hell you're doing, and b um, you're going to be productive. And at no point this year could you say that about Ronald Jones. It's stunning to me. So I think he was probably overdrafted, or somebody didn't do the homework in terms of how quickly he would be able to play um, because he hasn't played very much, and when he has, he just hasn't been productive. Kappa, I think, is just a guy that's going to take longer because he, you know, Division Three is a big leap. And we've talked about on, the, on this podcast about how hard it is for college offensive linemen to be evaluated and then come up at this level and, and literally having never had their hand in the ground and don't really know how to do much besides pass protect. And you can't hit in the offseason. You can't put the pads on until training camp. So I just think that's a naturally slower progression for him than it might be for some. All right, Douglas asks, and this pertains to the game this past Sunday. He says, please help me understand. Once it was apparent that the Ravens were going back to their run-heavy style, why in the name of everything that is holy did Duffner leave Grimes in to defend the run? His commitment was, shall I say, lacking. It's a great question. I don't have a great answer. I will say that as far as his run support goes, he probably played the best game I've seen him play here. Um, just one Sunday earlier against New Orleans. I mean, he he tackled some people. He was physical. He set the edge. So I think probably fresh in their mind was that tape. And look, the primary job of a defensive back, a corner, is not to tackle as much as it is to cover. And so you weren't going to sacrifice the coverage, you know, to put another guy in there to, you know, set the edge. And frankly, I don't know who we, we would be talking about. I mean, they've had so many injuries that they're playing almost everybody. I mean, Ryan Smith started that game. Carlton Davis came in and played a little bit, but he was nicked up. Everybody on that roster on that position is pretty much banged up, so are you going to take a lesser guy and put him out there? Because remember now, you can't predict when they're going to run. They could throw it too. So I, I just think that they went with, again, coaches tend to fall back on who are my best 11 guys, you know, and whether it's this week, next week, every week, which guys do I have the biggest trust factor in? And they still really, really trust Brent Grimes, even though he hasn't had a great year. All right, Michael asks, what are the chances of the Bucks deep-sixing the current uniform design? I'd rather see the entire team, coaches, front office stay intact before I endure another year of that hideous combo. <laughs> Love Tom Bassinger. My understanding is that, you know, these things – take time they got to go through research and development the league's got to approve the plan it takes from start to finish usually about four or five years to have an actual uniform a significant uniform change and i believe the rules say you can only change it once every five years yeah they don't they don't want you just you know i don't remember when they made of, the last change but well it's been probably at least five i mean the okay. last change they made was making the logo on the helmet bigger and that's that's been a while but you know as far as what they're wearing right now it's it's been a little bit but you know look I, I, they could well be into the design phase of that, and I don't know sort of how many years we're talking before you would see a difference. I, I don't think the I think there's a lot of talk about uniforms because there's nothing else to talk about. That's my personal opinion. But well, you know. If they- 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Change the uniforms, they'd start winning, right? Well, all I know is, you know, what's funny is the creamsicles are real popular, and, and, and it is a nice, it's a nice change. It's a nice throwback. Other teams get to wear them, but they won't let, you know, now they have a rule that you can't have two helmets. You have to wear the same helmet, and so there's such a drastic difference between the uniforms that the Bucks don't wear their orange anymore. I never understood the helmet thing either. That's that's aside, but but I remember specifically because I'm I'm old enough to remember when the Bucks lost a lot in those orange uniforms, and you know for one year I covered them in them, and they didn't win much then either, and people hated those uniforms. They talked about how you know girly the Earl Flynn pirate was on the side of the helmet, and you know how the creamsicle is not really orange; it's more of a pastel and you know who can look tough in that and i mean there was i I'm, I'm stunned to think that people even like those uniforms again i think it's a nostalgia thing it's a 70s thing it's a you know they used to do some cool promotions when they would wear them and have you know 70s music and and people dress up like that which i love but um i i don't i don't sense that there's a big push by the glazer family to go and, and carve up the uniforms the the numbers I agree with. I think they look weird. They're you know the alarm clock numbers look weird to me, but I don't know. I I thought I thought I saw the color rush. I thought was a good combination for some people. It's very red, but a lot of people seem to like it, and they wore it a couple times. So maybe they'll do more with that. All right, Joey asks, can you please explain the waiver wire? Example: We claim Carl Nassib off the waiver wire. Did we have to give up anything because he did not clear the wire before we claimed him? No. Um, and the way it works is this. Is they claim what Carl Nassib, and so they got Carl Nassib. First of all, let's talk about the players that are eligible to be placed on waivers. If you've got less than four years of accrued NFL experience, you are subject to the waiver wire. If you release a player that, say, has four years or more, um, he doesn't have to go through waivers. He's just simply a free agent. You release him, uh, and he can sign with anybody. Uh, so, so some player that's got less than four years of accrued experience in the NFL is subject to waivers when you cut them. That doesn't mean you're getting any compensation if somebody claims him or doesn't claim him. Um, it goes by draft order, okay, at the start of the season. So if your team from the year, previous year was picking second, then you're second on the waiver wire. And what that means is um, whoever's first, let's say it's the Oakland Raiders next year. The Oakland Raiders have the first – claim of any player who's cut in the NFL. They can pick up any guy, and no one can take him before the Raiders do. If the Raiders don't claim him, then he goes to the next team. Let's say it's, I don't know, who would be the next team be? Let's say it's the Bucks. So then the Bucks would have the choice of claiming any player that's next, and so on and so forth, until you get to week three of the regular season. When you get to week, week, three, week three of the regular season, uh, the waiver wire claiming order is not based on the previous draft. It's based on standings. It's based on what record is, um, and they, they organize that, you know, through strength of schedule and everything else. Um, but they'll have an order of 1 through 32 based on your current record, your current standing. So if you have a team 
that starts 0-3, they may be first on the waiver claims after week three. And, and so the order changes based on sort of what, how you're doing. So that, so that you're constantly, again, this is another way that the NFL creates parity, which we see this year in the NFC especially, but you're creating a, a sort of an order that those in the most need get the most chances of, the, of getting players. Um, so that, that's pretty much how it works. The team that places a, like Cleveland put Carl Nassib on waivers, they got nothing, nothing at all for him. All right, we'll switch gears to the Rays now. I think we've done quite a bit on the Bucks there. Yeah. But we do have some Rays questions. So Steven asks, now that the Rays have traded Jake Bowers, who do you think ends up playing first base for the Rays next season? You know, Steve, you probably have a good opinion on this. I, I mean, I don't think – I think G-Man is a possibility, but he's also going to be a DH, and I, I don't see him as – he might be a bit of a defensive liability. Um, Nate Lowe – was it Nate Lowe that they had up mm-hmm. for a while? Yeah, Nate, Nate um, Lowe was in the minors most of last season. He came up late in September. Uh, but he's he led, in their 40 minutes. You know, he, so. he came up through the what, double A, triple A, and then to the big leagues last season. Uh, hit a lot of home runs. Uh, not to be confused with Brandon Lau. Right, right. Who's, who's also who's an, an infielder. infielder, yes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you could go that route. Or, um, you know, the, the player they just uh, acquired. Yandy, Yandy from, Diaz is, can play Yandy a lot of different Diaz, positions. Yeah. Daniel Robertson played some first base. Um, Joey did. Wendell's very versatile. Or it could be someone yeah. who's not even on the roster yet. And that's that's sort of the way I think it's going to go. I think it's probably going to be somebody that maybe they don't have yet, but we'll have to wait and see just how they how they do it. I mean, it's, it is kind of amazing that they got rid of C.J. Crone, who all he did was hit thirty home runs, and you know he could certainly play first if they needed him to. And I think um, they were looking but, for someone that that did more than just home runs. I agree. They wanted someone that yep. could get on base a little more. Yep. And and the thing that the Rays are building is it's this it's this baseball team where you have a position players almost at every position that can play multiple positions, both in the infield and the outfield. I mean, this they got a club full of Ben Zobrises. I mean, really, like Ben could play first. I mean, I remember you had you had yeah, uh, yeah. Jose Alvarado play first base last year. Yeah, yeah. And Sergio Romo played third. That's well, yeah. Well, that was for another reason. But, <laughs> yeah, well, both of them, both of them for I, one batter. I mean, I was just. But truly, I mean, look at the positions that Daniel Robertson has played, or that Joey Wendell has played. And Wendell, to me. And I didn't think this was possible because he's such a good second baseman. They played him at third one day. The plays that guy made mm-hmm. looked like Brooke Rob- Brooks Robinson. I'm, that's, I'm going back a ways. I realize that. but uh, Or Manny Machado. I mean, he made some diving stops to his left, to his right, down the line, popped up, throws. He looked like he played that position his whole life. And, they have all, and he can also play the outfield. They have all these guys that are just completely interchangeable. It's weird sometimes. But the job they do is just phenomenal. So – um, they'll find somebody, and I'm sure that if he's not already on the club, they'll they'll end up with someone. But my guess is that they're probably going to add another guy that could play first. All right, so Sam asks, is JT Realmuto a legitimate possibility for the Rays? He's, of course, on the Marlins right now. Also, even if we were to get him, would he provide that spark that could actually help the Rays compete in the AL? Well, you know, it's it's funny because the Rays went from a team uh, like many teams that was desperate for catching to now possibly having too much, which <laughs> if you're going to have too much of something, catching might be the right way to go. I, I, from what I read, and Mark Tompkin is the, my expert, that's who I go to, uh, Remuto is, is a guy that they have legitimate interest in. And so you say, well, what happens to Mike Zanino then, or for that matter, Michael Perez? And let's just say that they'll figure it out, you know. Um, well, you if, if they get... if they trade for Romuto, it's possible Zanino goes in the trade. 
for him. He could be part of it. Yeah, he could be part of it. And so, you know, you don't you don't not get a good player or a better player with the opportunity if you have it because there's somebody that you've just acquired or somebody that you really, really like. I mean, you're always looking for opportunity to get special talents. And well, I understand, uh, you know, this guy is one. So I believe he's got two um, more years of team control, too, as far as contract. Right. And then right. he's also he also has played a handful of games, I think 24 of the last couple seasons at first base. And there's another guy you could play at first. You, you know, know so you, I don't know if he was any good at first base, but I know he's played a handful of games there. Sure, sure. So I guess my answer would be that the, the, they'll, they will figure this out, and, and I think there is, from what I understand from Mark, there is legitimate interest. And whether they do it or not, you know, who knows? I mean, they are covered with Zanino, who I think they really like, and Perez, but um, you can certainly make changes. And, uh, and we look, after last year, we saw who the Rays got rid of. We saw who they brought in. We saw how they continued to tweak, you know, their roster right up until, and they won 90 games. So these guys are good about adding and subtracting even during the season. All right, Mike asks, four years ago the Rays traded Will Myers to San Diego for Trey Turner and Joe Ross, then flipped them to Washington for Steven Souza Jr., Jake Bowers, Rene Rivera, and Burt Smith. How would you grade that trade today? <laughs> wow, Steve, that's so hard. Well, see, um, I, I think with any trade – is it's incomplete. Yeah. I mean, I, you'd love to have Trey Turner, and you flipped him right. to Washington. But Steven Souza Jr., okay, you traded him and got Anthony Bonda, who you're really high on. He just ended up with Tommy John surgery last season. But he looked and, really and good Su- before him. Souza, by the way, Souza was their MVP one mm-hmm. year. Yeah, and, and Souza, yeah, absolutely. Jake Bowers, good player, but you trade yeah. him for Yandy Diaz. I think you got to figure out what Yandy Diaz is going to be for this team before I you agree. can make that judgment. I mean, yeah. you know, all, a lot of these trades, and if you go back to how many of these players now in the Rays are a result of the Matt Garza trade, how many years ago was that? Oh, yeah. Is that the Rays trade for players and then trade them for other players. And, and you know, it's kind of hard to sit there and evaluate a trade as far as, you know, for the most part grading it because the Rays don't just make a trade and sit still. There's, you know, they're trading player upon player upon player. So you, you keep going down the line as far as, you know, David Price is, Willie Adamas is from the David Price trade. Well, how many years ago was David Price traded? Yeah, there's a daisy chain effect. Yeah. yeah, there's definitely a daisy chain effect. And you got to look at all the people that begot this trade and begot that trade. And you got this player, then you parlay that into this many players. So, yeah, it is a, uh, it's it's a lot of tentacles that you got to unravel there. But uh, I I, I tend to think, because I really thought Will Myers was going to be a superstar, and because of mm-hmm. his injuries and some of his slumps, he did not become the player I anticipated him being. So from that standpoint, whatever the Rays got for him, and, and there's a number of guys that did play well that they then turned around and traded, I, I tend to think that the Rays may have gotten the best of that deal. Yeah. Now, Will Myers, you know, in, in two, you know, 2016 and 17, hit 58 home runs over those two seasons. Mm-hmm. in San Diego last year he was hurt and only played about half the season but you know he's not right. been a bad player for them and, and just like no you know, Trey Turner who you had in the trade for a few minutes he's been really good um, you like yeah. Jake Bowers and but you know to, to get players you got to trade players that's correct you know I know you know with Jake Bowers the Rays are really high on Yandy Diaz I, I've not seen him play I don't I can't tell you if it's a good signing or a good trade or not but I know they're very high on him so they think that they've improved their team time will tell on that and who knows? They could flip Yandy Diaz for somebody else eventually. I know this. He's yoked up, man. I, never, I mean, those arms. If the picture I saw was not. I'm like, is that Photoshop? 
It, it almost looked, I mean, I'm used to seeing, first of all, I covered the NFL for so long that when I walk into a Major League Baseball clubhouse and I see these, these players, I go like, where's the rest of you? I, I, it's stunning to me how small some of these baseball players are. You know, because if you get a guy that's over two hundred pounds and six foot two, it's rare. You ever seen some of the hockey like players? Even more. Well, although they're getting bigger to me, I I, I don't know. They man. are, There's but if six, when you, when you see them just like in the locker room or in street clothes and yeah, you know, Tyler there's some Johnson's of them you walk by going, I'm, I'm his height. I'm, I'm you know. Oh yeah, I mean, not, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not in shape like them. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, they got tree <laughs> trunks for legs. I mean, it's ridiculous, but but I know what you're saying. But but like, yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, you expect to see football like offensive or defensive linemen with those arms. Yeah, he he's just he's yoked up and, and and the thing is he doesn't hit with power, which is really weird. They say he hits, he hits ball hard. Hard off the off the bat, but he doesn't have the trajectory. So they're gonna try to work on launch angles and things like that. And if they do, I'll say this, he's first team all brawl. I mean, you know, when you <laughs> if you're if you're going after somebody, you got you your goon sure you, you got, got your goon on the team now? Well, you just you got a long you better be a long way from Yanni, whoever you're going after, because if Yanni's <laughs> around and puts those pipes on you, you're not gonna want to turn around and see a guy that's got arms like that. I mean, they're that's impressive now. He's 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 gonna be Ron Diaz's favorite player. He's yoked. <laughs> this guy is yoked. All right, and finally, we'll switch to the Lightning, who, as we tape this podcast, they're up 2-1 to one early in the second period uh, playing in Vancouver tonight. This week, they're on the West Coast, so uh, Tuesday mm-hmm. night was a 10 o'clock game. Thursday night will be a 9 o'clock game in Calgary, and then Saturday night's a 10 o'clock game in Edmonton. So uh, I hope you're staying up late to watch them. But as far as the Lightning, mm-hmm. is this year Stanley Cup or bust for the Lightning? Well, I don't know what bust means. I mean, look, if, you it, want to say, if, it, if it, they don't win, is it is it is it a I won't say a failure of a season, but is it a disappointment? It's a huge. Yes, I would say that. Um, I happen to think because they're so young and they keep adding young players that, that just get better and better and are like superstars that they're going to be around for a long time. I think this is going to be it should be, especially with the goaltender, if nothing happens to Beslevsky. Um, you're you're talking about a franchise that could win consistently for years and should be back in that you know sort of in that arena. Um, the entire the core, thing, the entire core of this team is locked up for many years to come. Yeah, and, and you've and, got a great pipeline in Syracuse of a lot of young players that are knocking on the door to come, which is exactly how a, you have to build your franchise. Right, it's a great or, organization all the way through the minors, and that's sort of how you do it. So, I, I it isn't or bust. I'll tell you who it's big for is John Cooper. I think every year it's bigger for the coach just because the talent is – it's indisputable that the talent is there um, and an elite talent at that and good enough to get you, you know, to the finals a couple of years in a row um, potentially. So, you know, at some point they're, gonna, they're not going to get rid of the players, but they, they are going to look at the coach and say, hey, you know, is this is, – could, could we somehow – do better with with a new voice or well, and you, know, and you this, wonder how having a new GM affects that too. Well, it might because sometimes GMs. I mean, Jillian Jill, was involved in the hiring and and throughout, yeah. but he's now the one making the final decision, not Steve Eiserman. That's right. That's exactly right. And and everybody is different. Everyone, you know, maybe he wants his own guy, or he's had it on his mind. Hey, this guy's a really good head coach. If I'm ever a GM and I have a chance to to hire this guy, that's 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 the guy I want. So. You you never know. I mean, everything is different when you when you change like that. So, but I I th- I do think Cooper, depending on how it how the, how it finishes, if they don't end up at least going to the Stanley Cup and probably winning it, I think there will be people that will question 
you know what, there's so much here. Maybe we need a guy, um, just a different a different voice on the bench. And well, so I, that, I think the Lightning's next head coach is already in their system at Syracuse, Benoit Group. And that's and that's another consideration because do you want that guy going someplace else as a head coach if you think that he's the natural successor to your guy? Um, you got to make that call too because mm-hmm. you're going to lose him. Yeah, I think he. So, you know, if you're going to make a change in the next year or two, or I think he's already in your system. Now, I'll you tell know, you, though, if you don't make a change, you know, Cooper wins the Stanley Cup or you decide he's your guy, even if you mm-hmm. don't win it this year, you make it to the Eastern Conference Finals or Stanley Cup Finals, then maybe Gru goes somewhere else. But for the next year or two, I think, you know, he's your guy if you make a change. Let me ask you this, because you, you're so close to it. How, what is, there's only so many guys walking the planet that have Stanley Cup trophies on their resume, right, that are coaching. How much is the coach the biggest part of it? I mean, you know, can, well, are there a lot of guys that could coach this team to the Stanley Cup, or or do we? Because I tend to think people underrate what Cooper is and what he does. I, I think he's really, really good. Um, and just because you have talent doesn't mean the job's easier. Sometimes it's harder. You know, um, well, look, it, it takes a di- look. There's, there's, and and you could you saw this with Tony Dungy and and John Gruden. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. there are different types of totally managers. different styles, Some man- some right. managers manage better young up-and-comers that are growing. Others can manage those veteran players that have a different That's right. different ego set and different this. I mean, That's right. You know, d- managers can be very different. And, and, and sometimes, you know, it doesn't mean one's better than the other per se, but one excels at this type of team or organization, you know, whether That's it's, right. you know, building a sales force at your company or taking a bunch mm-hmm. of experienced guys and making them even better. You know, th- it's right. a different skill set for a manager for each one of those. Yeah, and their team evolves. You know, you mm-hmm. can start out with a bunch of young guys or then add older guys and maybe have a veteran team, which just changes how you relate to them. And um, so, yeah, the, the you know, sort of the landscape's changing all the time. I, I think Cooper's really, really good. I don't know how players feel about him because I'm not, I'm not over there. I couldn't tell you. Um, but I like he, – look, he's won a ton of hockey games, right? I mean, a ton of hockey games. And I don't see guys not playing hard for him. I don't hear hear about people that just really just can't stand. Look, you got a lot of people that didn't like Torts, and Torts won a Stanley Cup. Oh, you don't have there to like, like the coach. Well, There's but I mean, when I say yeah, like, yeah. I mean like didn't think he was the right guy. You know what I mean? And he turned out for a lot of those players, he was. Oh, the right I think guy. you know. I mean, I, you've you've heard the stories as you know, Vinny LeCavalier and Marty St. Louis numbers oh, have gone in yeah. the rafters of how they didn't. You know, Vinny more than Marty because sure. Torts kind of gave him a chance. But Vinny That's did right. not like Vinny and Torts did not get along. But no. later on in, in Vinny's career and 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 after his career, he realizes how important Torts was to his career and he how does. it made him better. And and mm-hmm. it was a good thing. I mean, players don't have to like their coach. No, I mean, you know, people. You know, the, the whole. You know, and there are some players, coaches, and you know, you may enjoy playing for them. But you know, do you think Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are friends? They From sure what I understand, they sure don't seem like it. From what I understand, they have never had so much as dinner together. Yeah. And I, I, I've, I've read that. You know, I think the, a friend of mine, uh, I think it was Tom Kern or somebody did a book mm-hmm. up there about that whole New England situation. And, and uh, even though they have amazing respect of each other and being, you know, the football likely men and they, and they spend a ton of time, probably more time with each other than they do their wives, um, they are not socially engaged in any way like but, there is no relationship beyond the x's and o's in football but both of them knows the other one makes them better 
Absolutely. And so, Absolutely. you know, they, they, it works. They don't have to like each Tyler, other. And, they, and every, they, every off season now right. you hear Brady's, you know, you, you start hearing the rumbles from his camp that he's not happy and he may leave or this. And sure, sure. He's not leaving. And that's when Giselle he is know, the one he talking knows about it. He, he knows that he's better with Belichick. Even though he's great well, and it would do fine on his own and Belichick would do fine without Brady, they're mm-hmm. better with each other. Yep. They go together like peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> Those two. But um, look, um, I mean, does coaching matter? I mean, take the light. We, we mentioned earlier, you know, we were talking before the, uh, the podcast about how the face-offs for the Lightning this year are so much better. Much better, yeah. Jeff Halprin has been working on that with the Lightning players, and he was pretty good at a, face-offs in his career. But that's mm-hmm. a new, he, new assistant coach in there, a new voice in their ear, and, and they're really working on it, and it's improved a lot for this team, particularly Steven Stamkos and Cedric Paquette and a few others have really improved mm-hmm. it. And one of the reasons I think their penalty kill has been so successful is they're winning more of those face-offs, particularly in the defensive zone. That's right. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm a big coaching guy. Like, I, I think coaches do make if, – if coaches didn't make a difference, right, why do certain guys win wherever they seem to be? Mm-hmm. Like, why – and I'm not saying it's a whole lot of them. You know, like in baseball, you, you know, how many, how many Joe Maddens are there? You know, how many – how many guys that you say, yeah, he's a $5 million manager and this guy is, you know, a $1 million manager? Like, how do you tell? But there, I think there are elite, better than average guys mm-hmm. that consistently you can put them on any team, anywhere, and they're going to win because they're just really damn good. I just don't think there's that many of them, but, but I think it matters. I think it matters a lot, a hell of a lot. I, I don't think it matters as much as, you know, the, there, there's the group of fans that are always wanting the coach to – call out players or scream and yell. Nah, and they think nah. they, they blister the locker room and, you know, the paint's peeling yeah. off the walls every halftime or intermission. I think that, that part of coaching is overrated. Well, I just, especially in today's age with the way the money and, and the structure is and everything else, that players last longer yeah. than coaches, that's, that doesn't work anymore. The players aren't fearful no. of the coach because they know they're going to be there longer than the coach in most cases. That's um, right. You know, I think that part of what fans perceive as coaching is is way overrated right. and doesn't really exist in today's games as a, as a whole. It doesn't mean every once in a while that doesn't happen, but it's it's a lot rarer than than fans would like. I mean, a bad half and everyone wants the coach to go in there and scream and yell like you saw in the '60s and '70s with football or any mm-hmm. other sport, and that doesn't happen. But I think the, you know. In today's age, I mean, with, with the players especially having more power and control than ever, it's about keeping them happy but keeping them engaged and get, keeping them on the same page with everybody else on the team. And that's, mm-hmm. that's not an easy skill set when these players are making millions of dollars and, and you know, really any one of them could retire tomorrow and, and they'd be fine, you know, as long as they haven't squandered their money. But, I mean, they've made more money than any players before them ever did combined. Right. That, you know, they have so much more power that it's it's – it's managing, it's teaching too, but it's managing the egos of it. And, and, and I don't mean ego in a bad way. I mean, everyone's got an ego to a point that, mm-hmm. it, you know, but that's, that's, and it's, you know, managing 25 or 20 or 53 players. And, you know, you manage Gerald McCoy different than you do JPP, than you do Jameis Winston, than you do, you know, and, and that part of, and managing, it's, it's more about just putting players in the best position to succeed. Yeah. I've never met a professional athlete that K cared very much about who was coaching them just whether or not they gave them the tools to make them better Mm -hmm. like if you if you can make a guy better and say if you do this then this will happen for you and you'll be a better player this way and it works they'll run through a wall Mm -hmm. you know they they 
they just want they want to solidify their careers. They want to get better and improve. They want to keep their careers as long as possible. And so they look at you as, hey, give me some tools, you know, to help me live my dream a little longer. And if you can do that, they'll they'll run through a wall for you. Mm-hmm. All right, some great questions there in our mailbag segment. Thanks to all our listeners for submitting those, and we hope you uh, enjoyed the answers and maybe got some insights there. Tomorrow is signing day in college football. So we're going to talk to Joey Knight, who's the uh, writer that covers the USF Bulls for the Tampa Bay Times, to talk about that and about USF Bowl game with Marshall. And then we'll have Tom Jones, a columnist, former columnist of the Tampa Bay Times, will be aboard to talk about a lot of things with us. Find out how his retirement's treating him. Well, it's it's brief so far. He's on vacation, so he hasn't officially started his new job yet. But I got a suspicion he's liking it a whole lot, man. The little text messages we've gone back and forth. Tell you what, I think he made a good move. <laughs> uh, by the way, we announced that, uh, uh, you know, we think it's 43 employees over there at Pointer. I'm asking if they could use 44. Um, they, they, uh, it's like presidents, you know. You, you know, you're, you're named, like, by your presidency. Like, so Tom he's just known as 43? 40. He's just 43. He's yeah, W? That's yeah, he, I mean, his middle initial is W, too, so. Well, that's what I mean. He's W, <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah, and that's that's sort of how he's known. So he's 43, and then we're waiting to see who's going to be 44 uh, or if there will be a 44. So, I don't know, maybe that'll be me. I You're not 45? Um, I, I could be 45, or, or I, I could be 46. I think I'm still young enough to uh, to make that move down the road. But, anyway, Tom will be aboard, and we'll talk to him. I, uh, announcement, too, in the Tampa Bay Times, if you missed it, that uh, John Romano, our uh, Metro columnist for the last, I think, seven years, is going to move back to sports where he uh, began, um, well, didn't begin, but was was the Times sports columnist for 10 years before that. Uh, and so he's going back to his first love and will be will be uh, replacing Tom Jones. So it's, a, it's an easy transition for him, a really good transition for us. And so we welcome uh, John back and hopefully have him on this podcast at some point as well to talk about uh, that, that transition. But um, so Tom will be aboard. And then, and then, like I said, Matt Baker later this week, college football playoffs are on the horizon. A lot of big bowl games coming up. And then, of course uh, we'll get you ready with Matt for football Friday, Cowboys and Buccaneers or Bucks at Cowboys. I should say um, perhaps touch Deshaun Jackson may actually play in that game. So we'll have more on that as well. Yes, anyway, thank, thank you thank, for the uh, Charlie Brown good grief uh, gift today. That we received. I saw that. That was nice. Yes. That was nice. Everyone was uh, glad you took them down misery lane. I know. Well, that was the highlight of their, uh, of the, so far, and, and probably maybe if ever, of the uh, Jason or the Dirk Cutter, Jameis Winston, Jason Light uh, era, if you will. I remember they were eight and five, and, and, and everybody was a Twitter about uh, how they were playing America's team and got flexed to Sunday night. It was a really good game, and uh, they lost it, and then, then the wheels have come off, and Jameis hadn't won a road game since, but we, you know, that's the two-year anniversary was, uh, you know, was yesterday. So um, it's a good time to write about it. And yeah, sorry about the trip down Misery Lane, but that's there were some there were some signs there were some signs there that uh, the cracks may be uh, may be evolving, and and uh, they weren't able to push it forward. So get a chance to read that. It's in TampaBay.com. Thanks again to all the questioners. And remember, uh, you know, if you want to have a magical day on the river, I'm telling you, go swim with these manatees. I have done this. You've got to go see uh, Captain Mike swimming with the manatees. You can book online at swimmingwiththemanatees.com or call 352-571-1888. You won't regret it. This is a, a great uh, family bonding experience, and uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. So 
For Steve Burstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.